Hey guys, it's Dylan. Um, I just want to give you guys a, a heads up that um, I, I'm sure if you guys have been listening to episodes, you've talked, you've heard me and Kevin talking about um, taking a month off, and this is the first week that we are going to be taking off. We're going to uh, take off uh, the rest of August. That being said, we've already recorded some things uh, that we're really excited for you guys to hear. Uh, a few things that we're going to be covering are Stranger Things, uh, Part 1 and Part 2 in for Season 4. And we're also going to be doing a few movies uh, that we think are comically bad. Um, so this week and next week are going to be covering Stranger Things, uh, Part 1 and Part 2. And then we'll be getting into some comically bad movies. Um, we really appreciate everyone's support and... Um, we're not going to be off the internet per se, uh, so if you want to give us a shout on Twitter, it's at OffCliff. Our Instagram is at OffTheBeatenCliff, and we have a Discord. We'd love to hear from you guys, um, but we just want to take a little summer vacation of sorts. Uh, I'm going to be going out of town. I know it's it's going to be good for Kevin to get some time off, so um, that being said, we thought we'd it'd be fun to uh, pre-record some things that aren't necessarily music. Um, we're still going to talk about music. We can't help ourselves. But uh, without further ado, uh, here's a month of Off the Beaten Reel. Hope you enjoy. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Off the Beaten Reel. How you feeling, Kev? Feeling good, man. Feeling good. Feeling fine. Uh, finishing up the uh, Stranger Things late, latest season. Uh, got a lot to say about it, both good and bad, so... Uh, I'm excited to do this episode for sure. Uh, it'll be out for a while now when this releases, so I'm not worried about spoilers. Um, yeah, we haven't really talked about order of how we're going to release these, but I feel like these need to come out first. Everything else isn't really as as time sensitive. So, um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds good to me. I mean, it'll be it'll be better for the SEO for sure. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, like he alluded to, we're talking about Stranger Things Season 4. Um, so let's get into it. That's, let's. It's you So Stranger Things Season 4, um, I, I kind of wanted to do this kind of similar to how we do albums. Just kind of, I wanted to get your general opening thoughts before you watch the series. Like, what was your thoughts going into Season 4? I know you kind of had thoughts that this was going to be the last season. Um, and I think I had read before that this wasn't. Um, but yeah, th I think um, we haven't mentioned it yet. There's there's two parts to this series uh, in uh, this season, there's seven episodes, and then uh, they just had two more episodes released on uh, July 1st. So um, by the time you guys hear this, it's going to be about a month old, uh, the, the entire season. But um, yeah, I want to hear your opening thoughts first. Uh, so initially, uh, yeah, I, w I was hoping this was going to be the last season because... Um, if you remember from when we talked about this on... What was it? Was it Dollar Beer Night that we talked about this, or was it... Uh, uh, Queen City, actually. Queen City. It was a Queen. Yeah, it was right. It was a Queen City after hours. On that's how long it's been. Jesus. Um, 
That was our first yeah, podcast no. together. So this is it was. this is really full circle. It was. We're coming up on 100 episodes. We're rehashing uh, our first episode together. So it's uh, everything's culminating here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, I I was I was kind of happy with the way season three ended. Even so, if they would have left it there, I'd have been fine with it. Um, so I wasn't quite sure what to expect from season four. I know we 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 had thoughts and we were pretty convinced it was going to be a Christmas season. It ended up being a spring break season, which you know whatever. Um, yeah, no, I didn't really know what to expect because I didn't know what they could do with the story from where they left it off. Um, but I was excited. I mean, it was a really long wait, and all the kids are now eighteen plus playing freshmen, which I guess isn't too terribly bad. But it's still um, the the actor who plays Mike, especially his voice is deeper than mine, <laughs> so it's it's a bit strange. But yeah, no, I was I was excited to have Stranger Things again, and I had, I had forgotten how much I really liked that setting and story until I started watching it again. Yeah, and I kind of felt the same way, like. I hadn't watched Stranger Things since 2019. It's not a show I go back to. It's not one I rewatch a whole bunch. Um, so when the first the first seven episodes came out, I was really excited. We started watching it, and it was kind of like catching up with old friends almost. It was like seeing Mike and Nancy and Steve and all these people that like you really were invested in. You see them, you're like, oh damn! Like I for- I forgot how much I really cared about these people. Um, and especially Dustin, you see that, that goofy little grin he has, um, there's just so many great characters and, um, I think, um, going into the season, I didn't really have a lot of expectations. I, I think I've expressed, um, concern before that, like they introduce characters to kill them. And, um, that's kind of always been a gripe of mine and it just feels like, Stranger Things is its own, like, I don't know. It's kind of like Star Wars. It's like its own world. So they're so scared to kill off these people. Like, it. I, I don't, I think they understand their, like, grasp on how the world perceives Stranger Things now. How it's, like, so big. Yeah. And we're going to talk about running, running up, running on the hill, running up the, running up the hill. Yeah, by Kate Bush or. Are you talking about what you're talking about? The fact that it's a number one single, 30-something years, that just shows the the grasp that, that Stranger Things has on us and the, its ability to get on TikTok and, and really grow. And so, you know, I think Stranger Things knows its impact and sometimes it gets in its own way in that way. Yeah. It yeah. takes the uh, unpredictability out of it. Like, you yep. know the main characters are going to live and that's kind of my gripe at times because I'm a horror fan. I want you to kill off someone I don't expect. Game yep. of Thrones was great at that. It's like, oh, there's no way they'll kill. Oh, oh, they they killed that person. But yeah, uh, I, I guess that was like my one thing that I, I've always kind of struggled with Stranger Things was like, I love all these characters. I don't necessarily want them to die, but I don't want them to be so safe especially in something that's so high stakes, like the upside down and Demogorgons and Demodogs and Demobats, you know, like you you want (laughs) there to feel like there's some kind of stakes. And if you know, all the characters are safe, then there's no stakes. Right. Exactly. It's plot armor is one of the most annoying things in like really popular high budget shows like this, because I feel like writers get so afraid 
to do the things that make shows interesting. And again, that takes away all the stakes uh, to anything, any of the the drama that's they're trying to build up. It just becomes kind of pointless. I mean, it's again, this season's great. I don't really don't have a whole lot of problems with it, except for I'll you know like the second half of the last episode. Um, but yeah, you're you're 100 right. It's like you know, none of these main main none of the four kid four main kids are gonna die. Five main kids are gonna die. Um, that being said, there were points in the season where I was kind of, I was like, oh, well, maybe they are going to take a risk. But I feel like it might not be the Duffers brothers. It might just be Netflix. Like, you can't kill these characters. They're too popular. Which, whatever the case may be, it's a shame. Because, you know, if anything, Game of Thrones showed it could work. I mean, they killed off every single popular character from the first two seasons. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it worked. It became one of the biggest shows of all time. So, um, it just goes to show you can do it and people will accept it because it, it makes, it makes, makes it feel know, it real. Makes, like there, there are yeah. stakes here and it's not just like, Oh, good people will live. It's like, sometimes good people will actually die. Yeah. It doesn't ha- yeah. like, and I hate to s- reference Bob because I'm going to talk about Bob and Billy just a little bit. Uh, like Billy, it felt like Billy needed to die especially after his arc in season two and then the very yeah. beginning of season three. Uh, Bob, we hardly got to know. Bob just died as a hero, and we all loved Bob and, like, Barb. We hardly knew Barb, but Barb was, like, a plot device, really. Um, and, you know, that it's just a frustration that uh, I'm probably going to voice a little bit throughout this episode. Yeah. Overall, though, I was very excited, and it's occupied a lot of my mind. It's been... It's fun to uh, to always get back into Stranger Things. Hundred percent. Um, so I'm gonna just read a little bit of uh, an excerpt of just like a, a summation of the entire season, and then uh, we're gonna dive into a couple different things. Um, so it's set in March of 1986, eight months after the events of the third season. Um, the fourth season is split into two between different plot lines. Uh, we have three different plot lines that we're going to discuss. Uh, the first one uh, takes place in Hawkins, where several teenagers are killed in mysterious ways. It features Dustin Henderson, Max Mayfield, Lucas, and Erica Sinclair, Steve Harrington, Nancy Wheeler, Robin Buckley, and Eddie Munson, uh, a new a new character who's the leader of the Hellfire Club. Uh, the Hellfire Club's a Dungeons and Dragons group that includes Dustin and all his friends. Um, it's kind of the same group, except, you know, they found almost a, a cult like leader in Eddie. Um, Eddie becomes the prime murder suspect and is hunted down by, uh, the basketball team who believe that Eddie killed Jason's girlfriend, Chrissy Cunningham using satanic powers. We'll get into that here in a little bit, but, uh, Dustin and friends investigate and discover that the murders were carried out by a powerful being that lives in the upside down. Um, an entity that they later dubbed Vecna. Uh, the second plot line involves Mike Wheeler visiting Eleven, Will and John Byers, or Jonathan Byers at their new home in California. Due to the events in Hawkins and the imminent danger to their friends, Eleven goes with Dr. Brenner and Sam Owens to a secret facility to help regain her powers. Mike, Will, Jonathan, and Jonathan's friend Argyle uh, try to track down Eleven, which Argyle's another new character. I think generally well liked yeah i think but both both of the like main 
story make new characters are both incredibly well liked i think oh yeah argyle's funny and eddie's a badass so yeah uh the third plot line follows joyce byers and murray bauman who learn that jim hopper that may still be alive and are told to bring money to arrange for his transfer meanwhile in russia in a russian gulag in kamchatka Hopper is held prisoner and is forced alongside other inmates to battle a Demogorgon that the Russians have captured. Um, so, yeah, those are the three plot lines that we're going to cover today. And we're also going to talk, uh, before we get into all those plot lines, we're going to discuss the new characters. How do you feel about that? feel great, man. I think there's some good new characters in this, in this season. I think, really, the new characters are my favorite characters in this in this season. Um I feel like that's been the case since like season two um, outside of like the young X-Men episode that they did. Like all the uh, like new characters have been my favorite every season thus far. So um, yeah, I, I can't wait to talk about them. Yeah. Um, but we'll just start with uh, as they are introduced to us. Uh, the first one is Dimitri uh, who we call Enzo for most of the uh, most of the season who is a Russian prison guard that is helping Hopper facilitate an escape. Um, initially, we kind of think of Enzo as like a, a, a shysty guard who's just trying to like deep in his pockets. Which is what he's doing. I mean, that's he he doesn't develop anything past that till later in the season, but um, there's always something more likable about him. He, the fact that he was willing to help Hopper um i forget how i think hopper told him about joyce or something like about that like that and he decided to help him or he knew he could make money off of it uh, because he knew the smuggler that we'll talk about later um so yeah he helped him get the ransom style letter to joyce byers um which is a pretty funny scene when he when she first receives it and she calls up murray and she's like trying to break the doll and like yeah, i don't know it's really it's it's it kind of sets up the comic relief aspect of Murray and Joyce throughout the entire season, um, which whatever. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Joyce as a character. Murray's fine. He's less he's less interesting in this season than he is in, than he was in last season when he was just fucking around with the the Russian prisoner that they had. Um, but yeah, no, Dimitri's a cool character. He has a good uh, story arc. They really kind of developed him really well in nine episodes. Um, he goes from being kind of a a dishonorable guy to becoming a a comrade in a bad situation to becoming like a a man who really truly cares about the plight of the world. He starts to see the bigger picture, and um, he's really cool. The actor who plays him does a really good job. Uh, I forget his name, but he he has a really really convincing job of of his role. I mean, he he has got really good emotional depth. Yeah, I I think the, uh, the the casting for him was perfect because I've seen him in other things and he is just like such a con- compelling character. Even if it's not said, it felt like his performance made it feel like there was more to him than just being a, a, a shysty prison guard. Um, right. But yeah, I was a I was a huge fan of Enzo, and we'll discuss um, that plot line later on. But overall, I thought it was a really good. Um, he was a good, I wouldn't even call him a foil to, to Hopper, but more of like an accessory to Hopper, someone to like, keep him going while he was in, in prison. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a way for Hopper to kind of express his deeper feelings of things. 
Um, you know, the guard was the more pragmatic of the two, and Hopper was kind of the at his end of his rope guy. And it was just it was a good dynamic between the two, especially when they were in the prison together after uh, the smugglers sold both of them out. Yeah. Um, so he, he's just a really, really cool, interesting character. He, I mean, for somebody who doesn't have a whole lot to do in the season, I feel like he got the most character development somehow. Yeah, I it, think it was crazy. I think, I think Hopper, who even to most of the people in, in Hawkins, he doesn't really open up to. But for him to open up, because I think he thought, like, I'm going to have to say all this stuff to someone because I haven't gotten a chance to say it to anyone else. So he kind of opens right. up to Enzo, and Enzo kind of doesn't take that lightly and, and, and in turn opens up as well. And it kind of creates a really cool friendship. Yeah, uh, yeah. I... Sorry, I had a burp. That's it. That's um, no, okay. <laughs> uh, Yuri, who is a the peanut butter smuggler in Russia... Um, I think he sucks, dude. I did not like really? Yuri. I did not like Yuri whatsoever. Um, that's an interesting take. Why not? I just felt like he was like a, an overacted. He he was an overacted character who was like what we thought Russia was in the eighties, like a two timing, just looking for the big buck, kind of a shysty Russian pilot. And it was like, yeah. uh, he's not interesting to me. And he's always like making these lame jokes and like his laugh made me want to hurt him or myself. And I, I, I don't know. There was nothing like, even when he gets his redemption later on, it was like, uh, I don't, there's, the stakes are too high elsewhere. Like, I don't need a yeah. redemption arc for Yuri. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, they really, <laughs> they really blew by that redemption arc, by the way. It was one short conversation with the guard. Like you used to be a hero, right? He's like, "Yep, yep," <laughs> and that, that and that's it. <laughs> Is I'm gonna I'm gonna throw away every single bit of comic relief I've had for this entire I don't fucking ten hours of media, and I'm just gonna. You're right. I'm not. I am. I am not a piece of shit. Um, so that was dumb, but I, I don't know. I think he's fine. I think the way you, the reason you feel that way is because he was written to make people feel that way. He uh, he was meant to be kind of very antagonistic and very annoying, and um, yeah, he's a caricature of a a shysty like smuggler. Um, I didn't dislike him. I didn't really love him either. I think he's what I did like is that they casted somebody that looked a lot like Murray <laughs> for yes. that for that for the specific plot point of sneaking into the prison. Um, it just that felt really well thought out. The fact that they already established that Murray knew Russian, um, and so they they made sure they casted somebody who, if they put a hat and a bandana over his mouth, would look pretty convincingly like Murray. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, he's not great. He's I, I honestly that whole Russian side story I don't care about. It just doesn't. It's so loosely based on whatever's going on and what the real action is um the 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 way they tied it in with like oh it's a hive mind and there's there just happens to be the misguff this mcguffin of the smoke here so we can help them fight vecna like it's just so dumb i, I just i don't like hopper and joyce's storyline should have ended last season that should have ended and it just they kept hopper around because he became really popular last season because he had this 
him and Joyce were finally together and people liked like shipping people, but it would have been so much better without any of that. It just, it, we I don't came know, to whole... terms with his death. Yeah. So did everybody else in the show. Yeah. They had a funeral for him. They mentioned that quite a bit. And it's like, yeah, you're too scared to kill off someone that like hadn't made all the character development he can, you know, like he was a, a crappy dad and then, I don't know. I, I feel like they kind of forced the development at the very end during like his like emotional stuff. To, to, this season was like, oh, he's still alive because he's got to atone for all the stuff he did when he was in Vietnam. I was like, oh, well, that's lame. I hate to say it, but like that, that I felt like it was fishing for a reason for him to still be alive. Yeah, I, I completely forgot about the whole Agent Orange thing. Like, Honestly, I think I blacked out at that part just because I didn't care about yeah. Hop, Hopper being depressed about Joyce coming to save him because he was like, oh, well, you know, everyone I touch gets put in danger or dies. And it's like, OK, get back to the fun stuff. Oh, my like, God. What are you, Wolverine? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, there's there's points in this season um, that kind of annoy me at times where. They can't just have like a simple conversation. It has to turn into like a five minute monologue about yeah. like how you've done something wrong or like, I don't know that it's never a conversation. It's like you ask me a question and then I go on like a five minute rant and they're like, okay, <laughs> you know, like in that and that's yeah. it. So, um, yeah, we'll get, we'll get into that more later. Uh, another new character, Argyle. Uh, we alluded to him already. He's a stoner pizza delivery driver who lives out in California. Uh, he's Jonathan's newfound BFF in California, and him and Jonathan just get high together. Yeah, yeah. It's a classic. He's just a classic stoner, and there's nothing, nothing that you can you can't hate a stoner. Right? He looks like an indigenous person, um, like an American Indian. Uh, I don't know if that's what he is, but he's got the long, straight black hair. Um, so he's very much like connected to nature and, and what is the, what is the weed they smoke? The purple wave or something yeah, like that. Something like that. Um, that, that's just so funny because when I went out to Cali last time at like 2006, um, I got high with my cousin's boyfriend at the time and he's like, you ever had blue crush? I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> so it all is like the first time I'd ever smoked anything that any weed that wasn't just weed. <laughs> so the was, second was, there's, was, there's colors and adjectives involved, you know you're in for, for a rude awakening. Yeah, and it got me high as fuck. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> it was one of the best highs I've ever had. I just laid in bed and just thought about the most crazy shit for that entire night. It was awesome. But um, I just, I don't know. I like his character. He's he's comic relief without being annoying. Like yes. he has just some some funny lines like when him and Jonathan are out like hitting golf balls into the junkyard and like Jonathan's flipping out about it and he's like dude just go just go smoke some weed and then when John is walking away he's like man it's stressing me out she's not even my girlfriend and that that was like that was just so funny to me man um because it's just he plays such a convincing stoner and how a stoner would handle all of these situations and it wasn't like overblown yes I mean he, there are parts that were silly but he I don't know it just seems like that's how stoners would handle those things Yes, and his critical thinking is non-existent. I love it. He's like, I think I wrote down later on, like he's a, P a person of color version of Spicoli from the from uh, Fast Time at Ridmahai. 
Yeah, 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 for sure. Just like him. He just even has like the same demeanor. There's nothing you can say <laughs> that's going to shake him down because like he just don't he don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. I um, mean the 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 point the part where he's like making the grave for the the agent is so funny cuz he's like why wouldn't I make a grave? Like yeah. it's like you're going to put her names on it. It's like yeah, <laughs> it's just like, of course, like, what else would I do? That was probably the first death he's dealt with in his entire life. <laughs> Not everyone's so hardened like everyone in Hawkins. Yeah, yeah, it's it was just a really funny scene. That Like, that made me giggle. Um, so, yeah, I love Argyle, man. Just a cool side character. Um, we always knew Jonathan was a stoner. This this season just confirmed it. So. Yeah. yeah, and he, he is, uh, we'll get into him later, but holy cow, he looks, he looks rough. He's always looked rough. He's just a rough-looking guy, I think. Yeah. Hey, life just seems to have hit him a lot harder than anyone else. Um, the next character, Eddie Munson. Yeah. Oh, man. Where do yeah, we begin? Uh, he's leader of the Hellfire Club, which is a D&D club. Uh, Hellfire is later looked at as like, um, like a devil's club. Like... Yeah, I mean, this is all based on like the satanic panic that happened in the eighties. That's D&D. what I was, it was looking real, for. Yeah, it was a real thing that like it wasn't just D and D that people were worried about, but it was D and D was a large part of it, just because you know old white people are fucking stupid in politics throughout the history of time. <laughs> they don't they do they don't know they they get afraid of things that they don't understand or refuse to understand. So um, I thought I liked that angle. I wish they would have uh, like pursued the satanic panic angle a little bit further. Um, we just, just had so like many more... other things going on. It was hard to. I I like yeah. how it was kind of in the background, you know, like the basketball team really believed in it, and like there was little news things on TV, and uh, I think <laughs> the dad Ted was wa- uh, Mike's dad Ted was watching it on the news. He's like, it's hard to decipher tabloid from the news anymore. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I love it. I want to be yeah. Ted so bad. Ted's the best character in this season, dude. He's on screen for like five total minutes, and he's just on there to just be. He is the audience surrogate, right? Because yes. he's just like, what the fuck is going on? These fucking kids. Don't you know clueless. my kids don't live here anymore? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many times I've heard my dad say that when I was in high school, but that was incredible. Him and Dustin arguing. There's like a whole yeah. montage of it, and uh, he's like, "Is Nancy home?" He's like, "Don't you know my kids don't live anymore?" And he's like, "Jesus <laughs> Christ, you're no fucking help." He's like, "Language." <laughs> I don't know how much we're yeah. gonna get to talk about Ted today, but God, I love Ted Wheeler. Yeah, he's great. I and I hated him every other season because it's like, oh fuck, it's just he's the loser that got the hot chick, and that, but now I I love him. Like, yeah, I don't I don't think Mrs. Wheeler deserves Ted. <laughs> Yeah, what is she doing to keep him around? Um, yeah, Eddie Munson, uh, he's an older guy. I think he's repeated high school quite a bit, so he's a little bit older. He's probably around Steve's age. I don't yeah, think that's probably. ever confirmed. Um, but he's someone that kind of takes Dustin under his wing, um, but he also takes Mike and Lucas under his wing. They kind of have this whole like Dungeons & Dragons club, which uh, I just watched an interview a little bit ago with the Duffer brothers talking about how um, junior high was the best time of their lives. And then they get into high school and high school fucking sucked. And I think finding a group like the hellfire club is really cool because they already are outcasts and, you know, Lucas kind of loses his way for a little bit, but you do feel like 
all your friends from junior high are not your friends in high school and like what happened like we were all friends over summer and school starts and then like it just feels like everyone's splitting and uh to find a group like the hellfire club is really cool for dustin mike and lucas yeah shit i wish i had the hellfire club when i was in high school i mean i didn't i i loved i loved high school but i mean i had a unique experience it seems and i would have loved something like a D club in high school I mean, I was I was nerdy enough to be into it. I just didn't have the proper outlets at the time. I so I I really dug into that jock party guy persona that that worked socially. Yeah, I, um, I I was kind of the same way. Like my version of the Hellfire Club was just like going to Warp Tour, and like yeah. m- the music scene was where I felt like that was my D and D club. Yeah, mine was uh, being an editor for the school newspaper. <laughs> so, and that that was my ner- nerdy outlet for in high school. That and joining, you know, AP English. But um, yeah, no, I wish I had more nerdy outlets like that. I would have loved that. Like, I I've gotten into D and D in the last few years, and I, I love it. Like, I listen to a D and D podcast for every week, and I have been for the last few years, and I love it. Um, and they should, you know what? This season should have taken some more tips from D and D because there are actual stakes in D and D. Yeah, a, character, a main character could die at any second, and uh, it, there you're always on the edge of your seat. Exactly. So, um, um, yeah, we're we're gonna talk a lot about Eddie, and we're actually by the time this is released, we're gonna have already released a uh, Eddie Munson playlist. So I feel like we're gonna give Eddie his his proper day. Um, yeah. to shine. So we'll move right on to Jason Carver, uh, who is just a, a high school jock who is looking to avenge the death of his girlfriend. Um, Casty, I think is her name. Something, something, uh, something like that. Yeah. Um, she probably has one of the saddest arcs, uh, along with other people that, that die from this Vecna. And, uh, yeah, we'll just talk about Vecna, who is Henry Creole Juan Vecna, if you've if you're listening to this, I'm assuming you've watched the first seven, if not the last two. Uh, he's the main villain this season, and it turns out he's been the villain all along. Uh, the fact that they had, I I love the fact we'll get into this here in a bit, but I love the fact they had Robert England play the older Victor Creel, who is Henry Creel's dad, um, because Robert England was Nightmare on Elm Street. He was like the main villain in all of the scary movies everyone watched. And Nightmare on Elm Street in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I didn't know that, so that's that's cool. The guy that had his um, eyes clawed clawed out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's really cool. Yeah, I saw him and I was like, "Why does he look so familiar?" And I looked it up and I was like, "Oh shit, Robert England, man!" Like he in in the in the horror world, he is a legend. So it was really cool to get like a villain who was already kind of you could tell he was based on Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. So, um, yeah. What What are your thoughts on on the Vecna villain? Um, I really enjoyed Vecna as a villain. Super imposing. Um, again, huge Freddy Krueger influence. You know, in, in invading dreams or invading mental states, um, making them see their worst nightmares. Um, but I really liked the the twist that it was one. Like, it took me so long to see that twist. I didn't see it until like right before one removed his like tracking device, I was like, Oh shit, this is a bad guy. <laughs> and I know I knew I, well, I figured out he was one pretty early on, but I didn't realize it was Vecna until about that part. I was like, wait a second, 
this doesn't feel quite right. They're definitely setting something up here. Um, and that whole scene where they they rebuild that memory of L going from where she was the one that killed everybody to it was actually uh, one who did it, and she was the one that saved you know saved the day by banishing him. Um, that was a really cool twist. Like that character is awesome. I love that arc that he has actual skin in the game here. He's not just some weird evil presence. It makes everything that's happened up to this point feel a lot more personal and have a lot more like weight to it. That this it was it's been a whole personal vendetta this whole time. And um, seeing his whole story as a child and that whole twist where he was the one that actually killed his family. It was just I think they poured so much effort into writing this character um, that some other stuff may have been left by the wayside a little bit. Um, and they relied heavily on like cheesy 80 was one liners and stuff like that for some of the other characters. But this character is incredible in this season and uh, really, truly the best villain so far. I mean, cause we have a reason we have, actual emotional reasons to like maybe even sympathize with this villain a little bit and i, I really really like the way that they kind of at, you know at this late stage in this series that they gave finally gave us a villain that we can maybe sympathize with yeah it it, it felt vin- vindicated to like get answers to questions that like we always had in the back of our mind and i think three seasons in we're like well why is it happening in hawkins Oh, it's because they have yeah. the lab there. And we thought we had those answers. But to get, like, a bigger answer was like, oh, shit. Like, Eleven sent this dude into the Upside Down and opened up the Upside Down. And he's coming back for her. Like, oh, my God. That's perfect. Like, that, mm-hmm. without, like, tying it in together, Star Wars, like, where it's like, okay, that now it all fits together perfectly and everyone can sleep soundly. Like, it was a perfect origin story for, a, like, a... It could have easily been like a cheesy 80s horror character because Mm -hmm. Stranger Things didn't have to go that deep with it, and yet they did. And I I really appreciate the fact that, like, they gave us a really fleshed out, like, uh, villain who is, like, borderline horror at times. I I saw their influence was Hellraiser and Nightmare on Elm Street, and you really get that feeling sometimes where, especially in Nightmare on Elm Street, where... They're like talking and you're like, why are they talking so weird? And then you realize you're in a dream and they're like trying to wake up. And it's the same way. Like Vecna has them and like he's like manipulating them through people that they already know. And that's really Mm -hmm. clever to like use those kind of same touchstones that you like feel familiar. You're like, it almost makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Like especially the stuff that happens with uh, Lucas later on. Where Lucas uh-huh. is like, oh, you wanted them to die? I can't believe you. And like, yeah. and you're like, oh no, Vecna has her, dude. Like, this is it. And yeah, it it was a really really cool villain. And uh, I yeah. think that's what saves this season. Is like, there are moments where it kind of felt like it tripped or stumbled a little bit, but the the villain throughout really makes us invested. Yeah, I mean, my one of my favorite, my maybe my favorite moment in the whole season was the Nancy Wheeler possession, because it gave us a reason. It gave it gave uh, what's her face that died in the first season, Barb. Yeah, it gave Barb a reason to die. Like there was a good reason for Barb to die, and it, it was setting up this whole Nancy Wheeler possession scenario. And I was like, holy shit, that's so well done. And the way it happened too, 
um like it they they had it in like a moment of like oh fuck finally we we got out and they were like steve and nancy were having a sweet moment and like you so you were focused on all of the other stuff that was happening and then all of a sudden nancy is now taken by vecna and like he uses her as a conduit to kind of reveal his grand plan which i think is super dope i mean it was a good way to replace like the classic monologuing villain where he's like, I'm going to reveal my plans to you and I'm going to incite even more fear in you because I've shown you this. Because, you know, I'm basically showing you I'm not afraid of you. Yeah, I think and- that's that's so much more powerful than just him announcing his plans to L. You know, I think he was also like trying to bring L to him. Like he's been doing all mm-hmm. this stuff. He knows he's close to his fourth kill. He doesn't. He doesn't even value Nancy's life at all. He's like, I could yeah. kill you, but I don't care. You know, I want I want Eleven to be here when I kill my fourth person because I want her to be here to witness it. That's gangster. Yeah. That's a that's a gangster villain. It's awesome. It's awesome. It was such a great moment in the season, and it was just so well done. Um, and then you know that's when you learn like who. It's not just one from the the hospital. It's the son of the man who's been who had the first contact with Vecna. And that was a great twist to learn too. Um it was just really, really his character was so well written. And uh kudos to the Duffers for writing a really, really well, really, really good uh there's a term in D D that BBEG, so big bad endgame. And he uh like Vecna is the big bad endgame and it is he should be as menacing and as powerful as he is. So, uh, really good job for them. You can tell they've they've played and listened to a lot of D and D because that's a really good BBEG. Yeah. Um. All right, you want to get into plotline number one? Uh, it's, Let's do it. We'll call it our Hawkins plotline. It's got Max, Dustin, Lucas, Erica, Steve, Nancy, Robin, and Eddie Munson. Um, we'll just go character by character. Uh, Max and Lucas have grown apart. Max is very distant with everyone because. She's got a lot of like survivor's guilt or whatever you want to call it uh, over the death of Billy. And uh, I don't know. We'll start with Max and Lucas. Uh, I was really a huge fan of where Max was. It felt like the first time that outside of Nancy and um, Joyce, it was like we were like actually getting some people to accept death. You know, a lot of times it felt like, these are junior high kids. How are they just brushing through death so easily? And to have Max like have that much guilt, it was, I, th- I thought that was really powerful, especially starting out the season. Yeah, no, I, I was actually kind of on the opposite end of it. I was kind of annoyed by Max at the beginning of the season just because we didn't know why she was being standoffish. I mean, that might be just because I'd forgotten what happened to Billy and how she watched him die. That's exactly what it was, actually. I'd forgotten how that Max watched him die. Um, so I was a little bit annoyed because it's like, why is she being so standoffish? Like, um, But yeah, no, I think over this, this whole arc, Max becomes, again, I loved Max in the previous seasons, and I love her this season. Um, I think the actress who portrays her is going to have a long career. I think she's probably the best actor of the kids. Um, outside of Gatton Matarazzo, who I love um, as Dustin. But yeah, I think Lucas's arc makes a lot of sense too, though, where, you know, he was always kind of more of the outsider of the group anyway. He was always kind of 
I mean, he was the first one. He was the one that won Max in the first place. He was really the one that was cooler and like going through more adult stuff with the breakups. And uh, so him wanting to break away and, you know, become something different, become something more than what the group was, was made a lot of sense to me. So, and then when he first popped up on screen, it's like, oh shit. Dude's a dude's a man now. <laughs> yeah, that boy is a man. I I, yeah. I felt the same way. Like even watching back in season one, he was kind of like a, a dorky little kid. But like his ceiling in terms of like not being a nerd was a lot higher than everyone else's. Dustin, yeah. Mike, Will, they all like are very comfortable with where they're at. And I don't know. You always got the sense that like Lucas wanted to date Max because it was up his social status. So the fact that he was playing basketball, he was missing D&D matches, and then he ends up being a hero in the basketball game to to really send himself to another level, and he kind of saw it as like his friends were jealous, but he also ended up missing that dorky, and that, that's kind of the cycle I think everyone goes through at one point or another, is like, you think that you're cooler than something, but you're really not, and... Yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, he was trying to use that to kind of prop up the rest of his friends, too, which I thought was kind of cool. He's like, look, if I get in, you guys are coming with me. And he was he was disappointed at the end of the game when he saw that they went on without him. Like, he was like, oh, shit. Like, I still really wanted to do this. Like, these guys are still my friends. He was, like, trying to – he was trying to pull everybody else along with him, which I always – you know, I think that's a, an admirable thing to do. I mean, everybody else saw it as, like, a betrayal, but – it was never a betrayal to Lucas. He was just doing things his own way and trying to help his buddies out, which I, I really liked. I mean, we get to see that too throughout the arc where he starts to realize like he wasn't doing it the right way. And so he abandons that. He abandons the basketball team on their witch hunt and then goes to help his actual friends. Like he, he realizes he was just kind of being, he was pretending, um, I don't know. I've always really liked Lucas. He doesn't always ever have a lot to do, but he's always been one of my favorite characters just because I feel like I can relate to him more. Yeah. And he's very real. Like even (laughs) the having like the annoying little sister that like, she's like, whatever, I'll take your spot. And she ends up being like the hero in the D and D game. Perfect. Like they're like, Oh dude, we don't even need you. And he's like, what really? Like I don't, (laughs) I'm the outcast of the cool kids. And now I don't even fit in with my nerdy friends. Like what happened? (laughs) Um, yeah, we, Lucas becomes a a star with the basketball team and, and finds a new group of friends, which are like older guys that want him to party. And, you know, that, that's very, I I felt like that was very real. Hawkins feels very real this year, more than other years. Um, and I really liked, uh, all the villains, quote unquote villains on the basketball team. And uh, Erica kind of fills the void of the friend group in the Hellfire D&D campaign, which we've already mentioned. Um, Erica just holding on for dear life, man. She just keeps coming back every year. Yeah. I, it sucks because she was really well-developed last season. and they, She was just kind of a throwaway character this season, which really stinks. Um, I really liked Erica quite a bit. Um, and she has some cool roles to play. I mean, she's she's the more pragmatic of them. I mean, she does. I was hoping she would play more off of Dustin like she did last year. I mean, those two have a really cool dynamic where they're, they're basically the same person, but Erica is kind of still looking down her nose at him. Um, even when she joins the DD campaign, she is like, she's looking down her nose at everybody in the group. She's like, I'm, I'm fucking better than you guys. I've got this badass level 13 rogue. 
<laughs> yeah, she's just um, sassy as I'll get out. And that's like a younger sibling thing that I think everyone can relate to. You watch them and you're like, God, that reminds me of my little brother. He's so annoying, but I love him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's I don't know. I just, She was kind of wasted this season, which sucks. But um, yeah, no, Max, uh, she's, she becomes like the main... Um, the main focal point of that that group, right? Because she is the one that is possessed, and she's the key to kind of every plan that comes in from there. And uh, so, when she first uh, that scene where she first gets possessed, and they're at the graveyard or whatever after she's writing her letters, or when that's after she knows she's getting possessed, but the first time Vecna try, actually tries to kill her and she lifts off, that shit is so. That was really tense. Like, even though it was like the preview, like, screenshot of for every episode, I was like, okay, well, we know Max is potentially going to die here. Um, I I honestly thought Max was going to, like, bite the dust this entire season. I think that would have been a good payoff for Max to die. And um, so I I always believed that they would maybe have the guts to kill her. Um, It just was going to take a lot longer than I expected it to. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, I think, you know, God bless Kate Bush, because that her at Max's outlet was Kate Bush, and she has shot into the stratosphere. I don't even know if she's still fucking alive or what she's doing, but um, whoever, if it's Kate Bush or the Kate Bush estate's doing real well right now. So, um, had you had you heard that song before? I had heard it, but I wasn't like super aware of it. You know what I mean? I I don't know if I'd ever heard it before that episode. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's not something I've listened to in very recently if I've heard it. I mean but I mean all all eighties generic pop kind of sounds the same to me. So that may just be a false memory of mine. Um but yeah, no, I I think that whole I think that whole power of music the theme is really, really cool too, because I mean that's shit we talk about every week. Like uh just the tra- the transformative properties of music and how it can kind of save your soul, you know. I think there's I think that's a really cool theme and I got tired of hearing that song by the end of the, <laughs> the season because it's constantly playing. Um there's even like a piano rendition during yeah. like a, a slow part. Yeah, which is cool, but Yeah, I I think you're right. I mean, Spotify even has like a a playlist titled like the upside down playlist and it's like music that you're fond of that would probably save you if you were in the upside down and Vecna is coming after you. And I, I think it's a cool thing to think about, like what song would save your life if you needed it to. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we are, this is genuinely a music podcast. So at the core, we like thinking about that anyway. So I think off, off the hip, what, what would be your song? Oh boy. Uh... Cause I'm going to make that like our quote unquote song of the show for yeah. this episode. And the next I'm... Mine would be Claire de Lune by the debut, the Debussy. Mm. It's a yeah, cl- a classical piano piece that's just the most beautiful piece of music ever written, in my opinion. So it would be Claire de Lune for sure. Yeah, mine's probably only one by Yellow Card. I've already talked about its significance on uh, songs that changed my life, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Glad we talked about that. Anywho, uh, uh, Dustin has a new BFF and a role model in Eddie, Eddie Munson. Uh, And it was just so fun to watch two semi-grown men 
fight over a teenage boy. Because yeah, it was. whether they want to admit it or not, like they act like they're too cool for Dustin or Dustin's annoying. He's just like a little brother. But to see him be like so fond of someone else was just so fun to like pit those two against each other. And he didn't do it consciously. It was just, I don't know, that made me, that was probably my favorite moment this this whole season was like watching Eddie and Steve kind of fight over Dustin's attention. Yeah, and like when they're walking through the upside down together, and they're kind of talking about it and hashing it out, they're like, they're like, ah, oh, we can share them. I mean, I don't say that, but like, it's funny that they're like, they they admitted to each other that it's kind of stupid that they're fighting over a, a freshman, like a fourteen year old kid, and Eddie's like nineteen, and so is Steve. So it's like, what are we doing here? We're fighting over a child that neither one of us particularly likes, but he's so fucking cool. He just makes he brings out the best in both of them. So. Um, yeah, I, I love uh, Dustin's. Dustin hasn't changed. Dustin is still the coolest character in the, the main kids group to me. He's just, he's funny. He's the best acted. Um, he He's smart without being pompous about it. He's he's like whips, whip smart with his quips. And it's just, I don't know. The, the, the dynamic he has with Steve and the cars when they're just alone together is really funny. Um, where he calls him out for falling in love with Nancy again. And then his dynamic with uh, Eddie, where he's like, Eddie is like the grown up version of Dustin. And where, where Steve is more of like, they're like best buds. They're not, they're not a whole lot of like, but they're best buds. And yeah. Eddie is more like a role model. I, I think uh, you and I were in a group chat with our buddy Tommy earlier and you saying like, you're Steve and Tommy is Eddie and I'm Dustin. It was a, yeah way better of an analogy than I ever realized <laughs> yeah. because you and I are nothing alike, but we are BFFs. Yeah. But I have so much in, in common with Tommy that I, I hardly know him. We've spent hardly any time together, but it feels like we've known each other an entire lifetime just because like yeah. we've, we like appreciate and love the same things. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go to the same tattoo shop for Christ's sake. Yeah. It, without so, even realizing it. it yeah. It is. Uh, it, it's fun to, see that and be able to relate to it um but yeah D- dustin is the driving force this season especially with our first plot line he just like he knows what needs to be done he can see things for what they are they even uh in the second plot line we're gonna get to his girlfriend even is the reason they get any answers um mm-hmm. and i don't know it was fun to get her back but the fact that you know, Dustin has all these cool older people hanging on his every word, and he's still the goofiest little. He's got fake front teeth. He's a goofy little curly headed dude, and I don't know. There, there's something so endearing about Dustin. I think he's definitely been one of the reasons people stick around for Stranger Things. Yeah, Along- yeah. He even makes fun of he even makes fun of himself for like not having collarbones at some point, which I thought was really funny. Like when him and Steve are arguing in the car. And Steve like makes a comment about his teeth. He's like, "Dude, he's like, oh shit, you're right, man. My bad. Too far." <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, to to wrap up our first plot line, uh, Steve and Nancy, the the sexual tensions out there. Um, if you're on TikTok, you've seen the TikTok that they keep having as a, a sponsored ad, and it's like her bandaging Steve in the upside down. I usually skip that part for the porn, but um, 
it it makes you ship them more than ever. And I'm going to get into why I think we are so rooting for them. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Steven Nancy here in a minute. I want to talk about Steven Robin. Um, mm-hmm. probably another great friendship. Steve and Dustin kind of have the luxury of just having like the best friendships on the show. Yeah. Well, it's very, it's very similar to like, um, like how Eddie or uh, how Eddie is to Dustin or no, sorry. Uh, how, yeah, exactly. Like him and Robin are so much alike that it's like, uh, sorry, what am I, what am I saying? <laughs> Robin and Steve are so much alike in that their problems are the same. Um, they're unlucky in love. They both work at the video store. They're both just looking to be happy and they're both there to support each other. Um, I think their dynamic is awesome. Like Steve is just the coolest friend he could possibly be to Robin because they're there to kind of like balance each other out with like to point out each other's flaws and what they're doing wrong with their love life. And the way he supports her and going after, uh, I forget her name, the little redheaded girl that Robin's going after this whole season. I think Vicky. Yeah, yeah. Vicky. The girl that looks um, just like the girl from Breakfast Club. They picked her yeah. on purpose. Yeah, that's 100% on purpose. Um, but yeah, no, just the way he was there supporting her, it's just strictly platonically. It was just so cool to see. Um, because I think a male-female strictly platonic relationship is so rare um, that it's cool to see that written so well on screen. Um, he's totally over, like... They like they even make they try to like brute force like his friends like trying to get him to put like be with Robin, but he's like no, and I think they gave up on it like after two or three episodes because it, it just doesn't make sense because it, it there's there's nothing there like yeah. on either side. Yeah, and I I don't know if everyone on the show necessarily knows that Robin's a lesbian, but like Steve knows that and he's steadfast and like being a good friend. And I think yeah, that's cool. why we root for Steve so hard. It's like their friendship is so pure. And he confessed his love to her. And she was like, I'm a lesbian. And like, yeah, he didn't get mad. He didn't call her, you know, he could have overreacted and like shown how hurt he was. But instead, he ended up being like a great friend to Robin. And he's rooting for her. I think my favorite moment is him talking about how that girl Vicky returned a movie and she returned it in the exact moment that there were boobs on screen. He's like, you don't do that unless you want to see boobs. And she's like, ah, yeah. Steve. He's like, what? Everybody loves boobs. I love boobs. You love boobs. We have that in common. Um, yeah. And it kind of just shows like Steve isn't only interested in himself. He really is interested in the people around him. And he, I think we always thought that Steve was hung up on Nancy because it was the first girl that ever rejected him. But truly they have this like, connection that you can feel and it, it kind of feels like they belong together like jonathan yeah. was just like the the guy she needed to date to realize that steve actually was the right guy all along yeah well it's like they talked about and what it was it the second or third season they're like nancy and uh jonathan are trauma bonded yeah so they they that's really all they have in common though like jonathan's really mopey and unmotivated nancy's hyper motivated um they're just polar opposites and so steve who was very much more outgoing and very much more sure of himself makes it just makes more sense for them to be together Mm -hmm. and i was really hoping that they would end up together because 
they're just better looking on screen together to be perfectly honest um it's just it makes more sense they're there they have more in common um but nancy's not that kind of girl she's she's a one-woman lady and she's gonna stick to what she has decided to go with and yeah. I, I respect that about her yeah at least for a, this season yeah at least for this season um you know jonathan never told him that he's not going to college with her so we'll see what happens there that'll um, blow up in his face but yeah i mean do we want to like go all the way through the end of this plot line and talk about like the the end of eddie or uh i I was thinking closer to spoilers we can kind of touch on that okay um post post uh post spoiler alert there yeah eddie dies sorry sorry (laughs) y'all eddie dies that's the only one we're gonna tell you yeah everybody honestly if you're listening to this and you haven't watched the season yet go fuck yourself yeah that's on you go watch it and then listen to this we're doing we're doing our best without spoilers but it's gonna happen Hey guys, we're going to take a brief intermission for a week. Um, (laughs) We are going to uh, pause right here and we are going to come back and finish what we were saying uh, for next week. Yeah, I mean, it it was a conversation that was easily going to be two hours. We knew it coming into it, so we knew we were going to split it up into two parts. So uh, sorry if that's annoying to you, but it will be out next Monday on time. And uh, we'll wrap up our final thoughts on season four and... uh, get our thoughts on season five so stay tuned for that and it's there's a lot more good conversation to be had yeah uh i I don't think we've been very shy about the fact that we've been recording early so uh we wanted to break this episode into two parts because we have so much to say about stranger things and we are very excited to uh continue our conversation yep see you Uh, next week see you next week uh go check out our twitter at off cliff instagram is off at off the beaten cliff and our gmail is offbeatenclef at gmail.com join our discord kev join our discord it should be on our link tree by the time this episode is up if not um i'm just lazy so um, i'd be like six weeks at this point (laughs) yeah yeah well but uh thanks for listening guys we'll see you next week bye